Aloha, my kako. Welcome to this episode of Moana Nui Podcast, where we will be talking about social media through a cultural lens. And so my name is Powahi Souza. I will be the moderator for today. I will introduce our panelists for today, or several of our panelists. Kamaka Diaz is a Kanakamale from the big island of Hawaii. He grew up in Hilo attending Hawaiian immersion schools all his life until moving to Kaiser High School on Oahu his senior year. Before leaving to Madagascar to volunteer in the Peace Corps for three years, Kamaka attended the University of Hawaii at Manoa and graduated with a BA in communications and a certificate in Spanish. After returning home from the Peace Corps in 2019, Kamaka started a campaign called the Race to 50K, where he paid off $53,757 of student loans in one year. Currently, he is the director of outreach for Hawaiiverse and host of the Keep It Aloha podcast, a podcast that has over 59,000 followers on Instagram. Welcome and mahalo for joining us, Kamaka. Kunae is a diaspora from Pennsylvania who moved home in summer of 2022. She stumbled into a Kanaka community on TikTok and was welcomed in with open arms. She is an avid learner and has dedicated her academic career to Ike Hawaii as a way to better understand her family as well as contribute to the Lahui. She will graduate with a bachelor's in Hawaiian studies from UH Manoa next year and will continue a grad program in a similar field. Kuna'e's TikTok has over 13,000 followers. We are glad you came to engage in conversation today. On behalf of the Moana Nui podcast team, we appreciate those who will be joining us online as well as those who will watch the episode at a later date. Um, mahalo for being part of the Nui podcast, Moana Nui podcast conversation oh. virtually. And lastly, a huge mahalo to one of our partners, Papo Olao Lokahi. We'll dive right in. Since the 90s, social media users have used platforms to reach out and keep in touch with family and friends. Highlight some important events in their lives, have, have used social media for fundraisers, celebrations, comedy, and activism. As social media continues to change, many social media users have become con content creators. Some of those maybe not so intentionally. While content creation is wonderful to spread awareness, educate, and have fun, content creators are often impacted by negative comments from what they have on to why are they doing this particular dance, why are parents using their kids in videos, and of course, the canceling of people and organizations because in this day and age, anyone who is offended by anything calls for cancellation. <laughs> in some cases, rightfully, but none of that here today. Content creators can also be motivated by the positive comments to produce more content and to keep going when they feel like their content isn't what is what people want. At the end of the day, there will always be there will always be the good and the bad, and that's the territory that being a content creator comes with. To move forward with today's topic, as we look at how social media can and is used through a cultural lens from and with a Kanaka perspective. We ask that all questions and comments are respectful as we dialogue what it means for Kanaka to be in these spaces. So if you like ask questions, ask yourself, how does the question I want to ask relate to the conversation before posing the question? If you personally don't know the panelists, ask yourself, have I come to this conversation with good intentions and an open mind? 
Let's lift each other up and celebrate the fact that we have these spaces and that content creators and social media users are helping to craft these conversations and areas where serious dialogue um, should be addressed. So with all of that, we welcome everyone and mahalo for joining us for today's episode of the Moana Nui podcast. Aloha. All right, so I'm going to start. Let's get into the questions. Are you guys ready? Yeah, that was great. Also, this I'm just enjoying seeing all the graphics and whatever. Oh. <laughs> it's so cool. Did a great job. Amazing. All right, so let's start with something simple. What are your favorite platforms? Which ones do you use? And do you use them similarly or do you use each platform for something different? And either one of you can start. Go ahead, okay. I would say... Uh, sorry, I got a weird echo there for a second. I would say my favorite platforms, ones I definitely use the most would be like Instagram, Twitter. It, I'm still going to call it I'm still going to call Twitter and TikTok. I definitely use them differently. I feel like Twitter is more um, formatted for long-term thoughts. You got a brainchild that you just want to throw out there and you want to write it down. I found like a lot more, it's a lot more, I guess you could say reciprocal or conversational on Twitter. Like it's not so much like you making a video and then people reacting to it, it it feels more like a two-way dialogue and then instagram i use mostly for like sharing community events and also a graphic designer with a local nonprofit organization maya so i use that primarily for news graphics that i create for that org and then tiktok is largely for i don't know for scrolling for my free time but i also find a lot of I really enjoy TikTok because of like the personalized feel that it has, like each uh, user, each content creator. Yeah, right on. I, I've been in Instagram OG since 2011, since it came out. So I've always been using Instagram from my face to Facebook to Instagram, just to show my age a little bit. I prefer it. Instagram, I, I missed the whole TikTok train because I was in Madagascar when it got really big. So I, I joined TikTok uh, a couple years ago, maybe uh, a little after the pandemic, but I don't really use it that much. I just post like uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of that. But I mean, I'm more active on Instagram. I just go to the other platforms to post. And, and I noticed there's a difference with how people interact. I think Instagram's a little bit more civil. And I think uh I per yeah, I, I like Instagram a little bit more than the other one. What I like about both of your content is it's it's funny because I have a TikTok, but I don't, right? There's no content on there and right. I rarely look at it unless I'm like looking for something. So I know a couple of content creators you reached out to probably saw this message from me, right? I was like, oh, I, this person is probably fake because they don't have any content. So what I liked about what I like about the content that you all have between your platforms that you use is there's a mix of it's fun, right? It's fun. It's uplifting. It's hard. And, they, and you bring lots of great conversations. 
But I just spent like a couple of hours like looking through all of your all's content and just smiling or agreeing or disagreeing with some of the things that were said. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate that both of you bring such great perspectives on, on a lot of stuff, right? And so I think it's hard for people to understand what it's like to be a content creator, right? And so that will bring us to our next question. So what do you wish people would know about being a content creator or posting your thoughts or ideas that maybe you've never had a chance to share before? Why do you post the content that you post? And have you always had a clear audience? And maybe at what point did you realize your content was a lot because you started having a lot of followers? Yeah, so just maybe those questions if you want to unpack some of those. Do you want to go first when this one come up? Yeah. We can take turns. Yeah, sure. I think, like you said in the intro, like some people stumble upon it. I just stumbled upon it. I never asked for a following or really wanted a following. I've just always just posted my life through social media. So becoming a content creator was just, it happened naturally. And even when people call me the influencer, I'm still like, I'm really, I, I love in-person conversations and real interactions. I don't love social media. I just know that it's important for business. And I know that it's important to leverage it, share messages. I think one one thing people don't know about content creators is it takes a lot of time. You're constantly working, constantly thinking about what posts next and not necessarily something to post from Palau but something post that's impactful and maybe relatable to people. For, for me, I think it's just, it's a way to relate to people. And that's like the biggest message that I want to share on this, share perspectives, whether you agree or disagree. I think being a content creator, you it's a lot of courage because you're putting yourself in front of the eyes of a lot of people that you don't know, even if you have a small following, that video could go viral and it could start popping up on people's explore page. And without the right context, people are just going to take that and maybe not like what you said or maybe like what you said. But I think it just, it, you need to be vulnerable and be okay. Be vulnerable and definitely have thick skin. Because regardless, if you're doing something that you feel is right, that's not always going to resonate the same with other people. Well, I think that's the, the biggest message. And half the account would just throw accounts. Yeah, exactly. That's I agree with a lot of what you just said, Kamaka. As far as like my journey to content creation, I, I really started my TikTok as a kahea for health. I was like, no, the only Hawaiian that I knew of living on the East Coast. I'm like, okay, I, I want to move to Hawaii. How do I do that? So it was really just me making videos about, oh, I, I found this article about this person. Like, where can I learn more about them? Or um, do you have any documentaries to recommend for me? And people were so gracious with all the resources that they gave me and resources that they send my way that my page ended up turning into like a vlog of me stumbling through the journey of finding out what it means to be Hawaiian, like more so than just a flag or Lilo and Stitch, which is 
honestly the extent of what I knew before I like went on my deep dive dirty journey that started in like October 2020, which is around the same time I made a TikTok. Um, yeah, so it started as just like a blog. Yeah, like these are the hiccups that are coming with me trying to move home, like having to figure out how to ship a car out of the country and taking, bringing my cat with me and all the paperwork with that. And it, it turned into a resource for other diaspora who were also looking to move home or didn't think that they could move home or didn't think that they would be accepted if they did. So, I, I, yeah, I much like Kamaka said, I don't really enjoy social media, but I know it's a really good avenue to get out information, especially information about things that mainstream news medias won't touch that they don't want to talk about. And it, it gets to a point to something I wrote down here was that it gets to a point where your content kind of takes on a life of its own outside of you as the person. Yes, you created it. When you post a 90 minute or a 90 second video or something like and it goes up there, you're immortalized in this video. Right. And that's going to be like it takes on a life of its own. Um, and that can be, like you said, you have to have thick skin. That can be a really tough part of it. Um, people taking snap judgments from what they see online or even I'm not, despite having a, a following in a content creator page, like I'm a pretty private person. So sometimes people come up to me in person and that takes, that's really shocking to me. People would be like, oh my God, I love your content. I'm like, oh, that's really, <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, like, Parasocial relationships is like another thing to have to navigate. Like these people, I am vulnerable on my page. So like they feel like they know me, but like I'm much more than what I post online. So yeah, just it's an interesting, it's an interesting day-to-day -day adventure. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any dialogue between each other? Did you want to say? Well, I, mean, I agree with what Kanae said, and I'm also a very private person. Even though I share majority of my life on social media, I, there's still a lot that I don't show. And it's just because I like to keep things private and I like having my peace. Yeah, I, I, think that's an, I think that's another part that's important. Like if somebody's wanting to be a content creator is like understanding that like you can be vulnerable, but you still have to have boundaries at the same time. And that's, that's a delicate balance to strike because, yeah, I want to be vulnerable and be relatable to you, but also know you can't know where I live. Somebody commented where I live recently. Yeah. Wild. Um, I had to um, that one video that people didn't like. Somebody was like, yeah, he lives in the high if anybody wants to go find him. And I was like, what is wrong with people? I know. It is what it is. I'm going to move out since it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And you have to. Yeah. Yeah, but that's like crossing the boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It reminds me of my you just had a Waihine on your show, Keep Aloha podcast. One of these things that she said that kind of resonated with me was like, social media is real, but it's not real. Oh, it's fake. Yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, man, that's, there's so much kind of truth to that, right? So like, how much do we show up with our whole selves to our programs or our respective platforms? Yeah, so thinking about what you just said, like how much of it is true? Like how much of it 
mm-hmm. the facade that we see, not your content, but just in general, like a lot of content we see. So, all right, sorry, I don't know where all that noise is coming from, but I'm going to move on to the next question. So, how important is it for Kanaka culture to be highlighted on your social media? Do you hope that what you share may spark the interest of someone who may or may not be familiar with you or your staff? Yeah, that's been a huge part of like me building my TikTok is to try to, um, you know, invite other diaspora who might feel like they're not Hawaiian enough or like they're too far removed to, or, oh, that's, that seems like a lot of work. I wouldn't know where to start to try to, you know, inspire those people to get involved. Even like my own ohana here falls into that category. You know, I'm the only one in a couple generations to be on my way to being fluent in Alelo Hawaii, which is, that's a huge landmark for the family, but it's caused like some contention, like generational trauma and stuff. But also in general, as somebody who's really big into anthropology and like studying cultures, I think it's really important that Hawaiian or not, you connect to the culture of your ancestors. I've said it quite, I made a couple of different videos about it on my page that America, which is supposed to be this great big melting pot, actually does the exact opposite and it's more like a great big eraser. And a lot of people, when they move to America, either like by choice or by force, they end up losing big pieces of their culture, whether it be your last name, your language, your family traditions for holidays, your favorite foods. So through my platform, I just try to advocate that no matter like your origins, no matter your ethnicity, that you connect to like your ancestors and the cultures that they come from. I'm not satisfied with people saying, I don't know, like <laughs> to win them, like, oh, like, where are your ancestors from? What did they, what did they do? What language did they speak? I'm not satisfied with an answer of, I don't know. Yeah. I, my biggest well, was to just a gap that I saw wasn't being filled with among the social media influencer category. Cause I would throughout college, I would see a lot of people not from here come to Hawaii and be like, Hey, check out this cool hiking spot or look at how beautiful Hawaii is. And that was the Hawaii content. It was just the beauty of Hawaii, but not so much the people and the people will, would make I don't know if they make money, but like they would get famous off of that. And I just felt like there's a need to tell the real story of Hawaii and have these real conversations. And like when I said earlier, that a lot of it was just asking, like going on this journey of trying to figure out yourself and ask genuine questions. And I think that's why people gravitated towards the podcast because Basically, for a hundred episodes, you're just following me on my journey, trying to figure out what it means to be alive. And even though I, I grew up here and I, I have so many different influences um, and perspectives from so many people, I still don't know. Like that's the craziest thing. I think uh, Socrates says, um, "Wisdom is not is knowing nothing." And after having so many conversations, I feel like I still don't know anything. Um, but I, I just want to be able to create that platform to elevate voices and uh, share actual stories of Kanaka or people living in Hawaii, because I think that's a huge part of our culture as well. So I have people who are Hawaiian, I have people who aren't Hawaiian, people who are local to Hawaii, and I definitely want to be able to differentiate all of them and figure out what's the best way for us to coexist and try to relate to every aspect 
of Hawaii, whether you're Hawaiian or not, because I think that's, that's a big part of our culture. And yeah, I just think being able to have somebody lead these conversations, even if they're hard conversations, like, I think it's so important. And if I have to be the martyr and have people get angry or happy, a lot of times it's 90% positive people, the, the negative just screams louder. Yeah, you would see, you, I get so many messages and comments and people coming up in person saying amazing things. And I, I didn't realize how needed it was. And especially with the diaspora, I, I didn't. That's only something that I've really realized in like the last year. I mean, is I didn't even know what diaspora meant. What is this word? <laughs> so it's cool to see the different people of Hawaii and the different Hawaiian all over the world and how we can relate to each other, even though we didn't grow up in the same place. Thank you. We're muted. I think the diaspora conversation is one that is ever growing, especially with the amount of Kanaka that live off island. And so a lot of this content does reach Kanaka and the diaspora, including myself, right? So I live in British Columbia, I live in Canada. So I'm far away from home. But yeah, a lot of this content, I can speak to a lot of what you all were saying, right? So I grew up knowing I was Hawaiian, but then as I got older, it was like, what is this place? And so every time I would go home, I hated Hawaii. Like when I was young, I just hated it. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s where I was like, it just dawned on me. Wow, this is where I'm from. And that's because we went hiking up to the pillbox, Kailua pillbox. At the time, there was no tourist on the pillbox. I think me and my cousins was the only one that went hiking up there. And this was like, 90 something maybe 2000s but it was rather like we was the only ones up there and so just seeing how that has changed in just that short time frame right and so understanding it was then when I went up and I peered over and I saw the whole Enchanted Lakes area and I was just like wow this is where I'm from right and so like when I hear Kanaka and the diaspora now like it just met this Waihine the other day, she said to me, she said, I'm Hawaiian, but I'm not Hawaiian. She said, I went somewhere and they told me that I wasn't indigenous enough for here. So I'm, I'm not allowed. And I was like, you don't ever let anybody take that Hawaiian from you. And I think the, these are the kind of conversations that we're having in the diaspora is who is Hawaiian enough, right? And so I really like the fact, Kamaka, that you said, I don't even know. It's an ever... It's one of those things that you have to find out for yourself. And so that is the work that we have to do individually. I commend Kunai for going home. So many people want to do that. And yeah, just like knowing your story now. And I sent you that email and was just like, wow, I'm so glad you came. Because it's just, I think it's hard. But when people see that you can go home, I think it gives more of a it pushes people to be like, okay, there is this narrative about us that we can't go home, that we can't afford it, that we can't do this and we can't do that. But there, there are so many people at the same time that are returning home, that have been diaspora for 20 years. My mom was diaspora for 16 years. She went home. 
I think these are just a lot of conversations that are good that you all bring in your content. Mahalo for all of that. So Kamaka just hit on something that I think both of you can speak to because I know you talk about this kunai and some of your duets or your stitches um, on TikTok. But Hawaii is often portrayed as some memorable vacation spot and a place where non-Kanaka or generational local content creators will share incorrect information about Hawaii. And so they'll share our sacred spaces. They'll share our turtles, our whole news. They'll share the monk seals. And they'll, they'll share everything that we would probably not usually share. So what are some things you wish people knew about Hawaii? that you decided to share on social media that was correcting non-Hawaiian content creators. And so, like I mentioned with Kuna'e, this feature is often seen on TikTok as a speech or I think there's something called a duet as well. I think it might be as well. Yeah. Yeah, two, two of my videos immediately come to mind, and they're two that blew up the largest because I was, like, very angry <laughs> in them, which that always seems to happen. The videos of mine that do the best always seem to involve me being very passionate and usually cursing at the camera. But the one video was about um, this one girl posted a video of wake up with me for a day in the life of a UA college student. And she's living in like a multi-million dollar condo facing Magic Island with a $900 espresso machine in her kitchen. Like, it's just not relatable, but like they, um, it furthers this idea of Hawaii as a paradise and da 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 And another video was, it was in response to... I think I actually stitched KHON News because they were talking about like the second stabbing in a, in the same block radius to happen in Waikiki within six weeks, or sorry, six days or something, two stabbings within a week in Waikiki. And I stitched it and I was like, listen, like Waikiki is, it's branded as a place. It's, I'm very into anthropology. So one of the things, one class I took was uh, the anthropology of capitalism and consumerism. So one of the things we talked about was like how you can brand a place. And the example that was given was Disneyland and Disney World. They brand Disney to produce a specific image. Like all their workers have to do specific things. They pump fake scents into the park. They operate, they, they operate almost like their own little country, almost like the Vatican City. They're very, they're very independent, interesting. But Waikiki has been branded almost exactly like that, like branded as a place for people to come visit and have like their island paradise experience. They even have like Aloha ambassadors on the streets who just stand there and ask you if you need help. Mean- meanwhile, like I w- used to work at a ramen shop in Waikiki and this is just a year ago. So it's not like it was that long ago. And every day my shift would start with my manager saying, hey, just to let you know, some guy got shot with a crossbow last night about three blocks. From here, so just be careful when you walk to your car. Hey, just to let you know, there was a guy who had a six-hour shootout with cops about five blocks from here, and it ended with him getting shot to death. So just be careful when you walk home at night. And hearing that every day while I'm watching literally millions of people walk around me with, like, small children and babies in their strollers. Oh, my gosh, this is so beautiful. This is paradise. It's such a dichotomy. It's so different. it, It just feels like we're not living in the same reality. So then, like, when I brought that up and I was, like, talking about that, people were like, what do you mean it's dangerous? Like, it's not dangerous down there. So that's, that's ended up being, like, a lot of the, the content. 
that I make, like the duets and stitches are usually about demystifying Hawaii. It's been a big part with me living here. My mom's really excited to come visit me when I graduate college next year. And I've had to be like, well, listen, I understand. My mom was born in 60, 61. So she was raised in the golden age of Elvis, blue Hawaii. Oh my God, Hawaii is the best tropical paradise ever. And I'm like, slowly, hey, I hate to pop, I hate to pop your bubble, but it's not going to be like that. Like you're going to walk out of your hotel and there's going to be like 17 homeless people and in front of the lawn in front of you. And she, her response was, are they, they're not going to be right out front, are they? It's like, no, mom, they will be. Like, <laughs> they will be. And you have to be prepared for that. So, yeah, just that's what I focus a lot of my energy on trying to demystify this place as the answer to, your, to all your problems. Yeah, totally. Very good points. Leaving Hawaii is when I first started to appreciate Hawaii and everything that it has to offer. And when I leave, I don't miss the beautiful mountain ranges and nice weather. And even though that's nice, I, I miss the people. So I, I think what makes Hawaii Hawaii is the people. Without Hawaiians, what's Hawaii? It's just a, it's a, just a tourist destination. And it is paradise. It, it really is. Don't get it wrong. It's beautiful. And the food is great. There's so many things to do. I can't disagree that it's not paradise. Sometimes I just... I take it for granted and I'm always reminded when I do certain things, even touristy, touristy things. One, one of my podcast guests reminded me like locals should do touristy things to it because you just, there's a stigma of not going to Waikiki or not, not doing touristy things because it's touristy, but I don't know, go snorkeling and then you're going to be amazed how amazing this place is. I just did that couple Months ago, and I was like, "Hang on, I should do this more often." But that being said, there there's layers. There, there's so many layers that isn't shown. It's like the iceberg metaphor. Only ten percent of the iceberg is shown. Ninety percent under the surface. Everything that's shown on media is the ten percent. Beautiful people, the the luau's and the beaches and all of that. But once you get to Hawaii. And it depends on what kind of experience you want to have. Are you here just for the 10% or are you here for the, to get the full experience and understand 100% of why which you never get to, but you can at least dive deeper and try to understand, which not a lot of people do. I think the biggest thing is just keeping it real. That's what keeping it aloha to me is. It's keeping it real, it's being honest. And like Punai said, yes, you, you can come here, but just like a, Heads up, you're going to see homeless people. You're going to see, you might see drug use. You might see drunk people. We have all the problems that other people have. It's just not glorified like other places because this is the paradise. And I think people just got to realize, even though this is a vacation home to you, this is where we live. This is where we have to go to school and go through traffic <laughs> to get to our jobs and struggle. When you're complaining that you have to wait 10 minutes for your food or something. So I think it's just important to be aware of those things. Not saying that you have to come here and volunteer and do a research paper on what Hawaii is. But I think it's just nice to be educated, at least at the very 
like on a very small scale. And I think that can start your journey. Yeah, just touching on what you said about uh, Hawaii being a paradise. I, I do, I, I just want to clarify. I said it's not a paradise, not because I, I, I think that, but it's almost become so synonymous with like people's opinions of Hawaii that all they think of is the beautiful weather, the beautiful mountains, the vacation that they have and the beautiful weather with the beautiful mountains that personally, I've started saying it's not paradise just to get people to wait. What do you mean? Break check. What do you mean? It's not paradise. And I feel like sometimes it, sometimes because I feel like there's other people would be like, you're wrong. It absolutely is paradise. I went on vacation there for 25 years. <laughs> But no, there will be people who like, they hear that and they're like, screw what do you mean it's not paradise? And sometimes it, it opens them up a little bit more. I had this recently with one of my ex-coworkers. I worked with, I haven't worked with this guy for, I don't know, eight years. I haven't seen him in five. And he reached out to me and he was like, hey, how's life? How are you doing? And I said, oh, good. I'm studying Hawaiian studies at, in Hawaii, getting to know my biological family here. And he was like, oh, I, I love Hawaii. I did my honeymoon there. It's such a place. Like, Hawaii's the best. And I was like, hey. I, I was like, yeah, but since we're friends, I'm going to burst your bubble and tell you that, like, our water is poisoned and, like, Red Hill's a thing and X, Y, Z. And his first response was, how can I help? There was no, like, if, ands, or buts. There was no, oh, but, but the weather. Oh, the bassoon. But the hula. It was, how can I help? And I, yeah, so that's what I mean. I feel like sometimes people hear you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm at work. Our lights are on automatic timers. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, I, I do. I agree. It's a beautiful place to live. And I feel like sometimes, yeah, like you said, locals should do touristy things and get out and explore because it's almost like we don't want to interact with the tourists so much that we let them have all of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I don't want to go to Isle Moana. There's too many tourists. Then there's nothing about tourists there because like we don't want to take up space. Yeah. So, yeah, really agree with uh, a lot of what you said there. I love what you all said about paradise because I have very difficult views myself <laughs> about paradise. And, and that's part of my um, PhD work, actually, is how paradise is actually a social determinant of health. And so all of the ideas that come along with um, paradise. So I'm glad that you all are talking about this and how it is, how the perception of it is seen in various ways. Podcast we did not too long ago actually talked about paradise as a conversation, I should say. So I'm glad this is still something that like we are continuing to talk about. What is paradise? Where is paradise? Who gets to say what paradise is? Yeah. So going back to your own individual perspective and your perception on what it is to be a content creator. Has there ever been a time? There has. Okay, I, I know this, there has. So for both of you, there's been a time where you all have separated from social media, even if it was just for a couple weeks. So does it make you feel bad when you step away just for a couple days or for a couple weeks? And why or why not? Self-care is important. I want you to consider this as an area where you're like, taking maybe a mental health break from social media, or maybe just a break where you're like, hey, I'm involved in everyday life as well. I need a break so that I can take care of my cool. Right. Yeah. So that, but I also wanted to answer, or uh, there was a comment. I don't know if you all saw it. Uncle wanted to know 
what Stitch was. Can you explain that real quickly? Yeah, no problems. The two features that we talked about were stitching and duetting. Stitching is you get to basically edit part of their video into your video. So you can pick, there's a limit, but say you can pick like a 10 second hot like section of their video and then stitch that and then make your own TikTok video for that 10 seconds of information. Versus a duet, it would be um, how we're set up here. It would just be like our two screens side by side on their phone and both videos would play simultaneously. So that's the, that's the difference between the two there. I just learned that. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know what the difference was. I knew I've seen both videos, but I didn't know what they were called. Okay, mahalo for that. And then did you all need me to re re-say the question? Um, so does it make you feel bad when you must walk away from social media for a couple of days or weeks? Why or more not? Why not? And I want you to consider this as like a mental health break or a break that's, oh, I, I have Kuliana I need to take care of, right? So I have to step away for a little bit. Um, yeah, so how does it make you feel? Yeah, I can speak on this because when I did the race can 2020 I, I posted my whole life on social media every single day morning to night i shared every single job i did every single dollar i made every dollar expended everything my whole life was posted on social media i didn't miss a day plus like a daily recap on facebook that i shared on instagram as well so during that doing that it, it taught me a lot about self-care as well you know and it was very tiring and I feel like, but I've, I'm almost callous to it now where I know that I'm capable of doing that. That's why I've been so consistent with posting for the podcast and everything. So it did teach me a lot and it taught me a lot about con consistency. But at one point I did feel the pressure to always be posting just to keep people happy and that it's right if, if I'm tired or I don't want to do it, I just got to do it anyway. I luckily been able to get to a point in my life where I don't burn out anymore because I I take the time I needed to just go surf or just go do something that I, I want to do that's off social media while still posting I can still post every day but so instead of like me going on social media posting staying on there for 30 minutes scrolling looking at other people's um, profiles I pretty much just post and get off and if I Having to see notifications while I'm on it during that time, I always try to look at it or respond. But I've gotten pretty good at just like posting. And if I catch myself cruising on social media too long, I would just get off. So I've even uh, done that with apps. If I, I got a, a game or something, I'll, I'll play it too long. I'm like, I'm getting so addicted to this. I'll just delete it. So I, I've been able to, to get to a good point in my life where I'm aware of certain addictions or just myself being too involved with something and I'm able to just cut it off and find a good balance. Yeah, man, you have more self-control than me, clearly, because if, if there's a game on my that I like on my phone, it's staying on my phone. But as far as taking a break loose, social media from posting, yeah, I, there was a, a short period of time where I felt obligated to keep posting every day, especially on TikTok, because they, the way the algorithm works is like, it's much better and your numbers stay high if you post something every day. Whereas if you take a break and come back, you might have like 
significantly less viewers, significantly less engagement. And then I realized one day that I didn't care. <laughs> and then I realized one day that I didn't care if my engagement dropped because the people who need to see it will see it. And yeah, like I have everyday Kuliana, like I have two jobs and a full-time college student. I have other things to do. And also I will say I started TikTok in like October, 2020, when so many people were on it, right? We had nothing to do. The world was shut down, be on your phones, make community. And then I, I built up my TikTok and, and the community that I found myself in there and it became like my little place of refuge, my, my little pool Nua, right? And then Lahaina happened and that spurred a bunch of conspiracy theories that were all over TikTok. I couldn't escape it. It was all over the, the targeted for you page, not your following page, but the ones that they think you want to see. No, I don't want to see talk, people talking about Jewish like, and it was just nonstop to the point where I found myself dedicating way too much time to like response videos for stupid conspiracy theorists who have probably never even been to Hawaii. And it really changed. Uh, I really sat and reevaluated my relationship with TikTok and my relationship with like how much energy I give people on TikTok because I found my, I, I found myself and found my page kind of veering into the call-out culture side of things, seeing somebody do something stupid, stitching it, and then complaining about it. And sometimes that works. But that's not what I wanted to, that's not like what I built my page to be. And seeing like all these theories, all these very not backed by fact <laughs> theories after something so tragic that took people's lives was really like like a hard line in the sand for me and I, I took a break for almost a month after that happened just because I felt like like it was my place of refuge it was my place to create community Tanaka TikTok was very tight-knit but also not beefing with anybody else we we were left to be our own community and then like when this global attention came because of everything that happened it really shook things up and I so yeah since then I've really evaluated like how I interact with TikTok and I'm I try to keep much more on the track of ac academic e things that you should know, educational type of videos. But no, I definitely don't feel bad about it anymore. I used to care and then I stopped caring about my numbers or engagement numbers or whatever on TikTok. Yeah. What? Oh, one thing I'll, I want to add, like how I shifted my perspective of you with social media is went from more vanity to more business. Like throughout college, I'll post my stuff on a hike or whatever. And then now it's become a more just like being the highlight of my life, of course. But like with the podcast, I see it as business. It's work. Like even though I don't want to be on it every single day. And I know it's only temporary. Everything's seasonal. It's not going to last forever. I'll get somebody to do it eventually. But I know there's a job to be done. So if you look at it like this is my work. But you got to show up to work every day, right? If you don't show up to work, you're not going to get paid. The deliverables aren't going to be done. How I look at it now is just social media is just for me. I okay. All right. So my next question is how has so... No, that's not the one I want to answer. Or so the one I wanted to ask was, <clears throat> in 
I think you guys both alluded to it. Do you think challenges or annoy annoyances arise for you when you think about how Hawaii is portrayed on social media by people who are not Hawaiian or generational locals? I think you guys alluded to this. And what kind of challenges or annoy annoyances arise for you? Or is this like something you don't even think about? I touched on this a lot and what I said earlier, but Sometimes cha challenges and annoyances of people posting about Hawaii when they don't live here, they're not Hawaiian, they're not generational local, like you said, is they just don't get it. They really expect Hawaii to be like everywhere else, especially they really expect it to be like California, a lot of them. And then a lot of them also really expect it to be like other like major metropolitan cities, not in America, say like Sydney, Australia is another good example. But yeah, like they'll post about, oh, I just don't get it. People here take their time. I don't know why it takes so long to get out of the Safeway line. You just don't get it. <laughs> so that's, I think if I had to wrap up like my annoyances or like my challenges and seeing people post stuff like that, yeah, it would just be, they don't get it. <laughs> I'm at the, the point in my life where just let them be. The only thing you can do is educate them. So I try not to get mad at people. I just try to educate them. And if they don't want to take that knowledge, then that's on them. All you can do is control yourself. You can't control other people. You want change and be the change. I think that's where I'm at. I don't want to try to control people and tell them what to do. I'm not even trying to change people's mind. It can only make them think. And like right. through our platforms and with our content, that's all we can put forward. And whether they want to take that or not that's up to them and i just i don't think we have to explain ourselves to people right. who only want to misunderstand us that's like you said earlier everyone on their own personal journey but you want to reconnect that's a personal journey if you want to define who you are as a wise that's a personal journey but you don't need anyone else to tell you who you are and we, we talk about that culturally but honestly just as a human this identity in general like that's just a life journey that you only get through experience. But yeah, it doesn't bother me, especially because I've lived abroad and I've lived through with other cultures and I've lived as the Haole. So I have more empathy for other people. I, I know it's just ignorance. And a lot of time it's not, they don't, they aren't doing it to be disrespectful. They aren't doing it to be hurtful. It's just, they do not know. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what you don't know that like, uh, not his friend that she, um, mentioned earlier like Hawaii's a beautiful blah 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 and then you educate them and then they have a shit and then that's all we can do but people aren't going to listen if you just yell at them <laughs> make the jail whatever just talk right. about this person is still though I think it's just you just come at it with aloha there's that there's that thing darkness can't fight darkness only light can do that so that, that's just always my goal it's just always leave it aloha and they want to see the light they can yeah <laughs> I think too, it just speaks to, it's just like a larger systemic change that has to happen with tourism as a whole, not just in Hawaii, but like tourism around the world and like the expectations of, uh, the expectations that people have when they travel. Um, like I've never lived in another country, but I have visited other countries, visited Italy, love it so much, but I did so much, I did so much research before I went there. I'm like, last thing I want to do is piss off an Italian chef. At a really good restaurant because I'm American. So I was like really adamant about trying to be like as well read and as ready 
to be in another culture as I could be. And I can't expect everybody to do the same, but it's honestly mind-blowing that they don't do that. And maybe that's something with you in Hawaii as part of the U.S. type of thing. That That's probably part of it, that they don't see us as, since we're not an independent country, they don't see us as, like, different. But that's just me, like, thinking out loud. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it. a lot of it just does stem from a place of ignorance, and there just needs to be, like, better education from, like, the multi-million dollar corporation, corporations and powers that be to, like, take the time and resources to educate people but yeah like i said i i used to address a lot of people like that on tiktok as far as you guys don't know what you're talking about but kamaka you said if you aren't gonna listen to you if you yell at them and if you have a yeah. if you have a community full of angry hawaiians in your comment section calling you one stupid fuck up they're not, they're not gonna listen to you they're just gonna say that all hawaiians are me I don't know. Yeah. So definitely take it with it. You have to take it with a grain of salt because I don't have the time and energy to respond to every person who hasn't been educated. And it's also, like you said, it's not our job. It's not our duty to be the ones consistently doing the educating. That's why, personally, I think that should be up to the tourism authority and the airlines that fly these people in that have all the billions and billions of dollars. But yeah, you got to let people discover it in their own time, in their own way. Can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's such a good point about tourists being a good tourist when you travel. If you can be a good traveler, a respectful traveler, a respectful holiday anywhere, then you're most likely you're gonna be a good person. But I think that's like the the main thing that people gotta remember is how to be a respectful tourist, where regardless of where you're you're at. Yes. Cause you're a guest in somebody else's home. Yeah. Like I wouldn't walk into somebody else's home and throw stuff all over the walls and destroy the place and use a bottle of hot water. But yeah, yeah, it's just like, people don't view it that way. They don't view that it's like a guest in somebody else's house. They just view it as I'm on vacation and I can do whatever I want. Unfortunately, yeah. I just have my laptop sign. I have to go to my charger. But... Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I think that go, yeah, I think that goes along with to even being a settler, right? So again, me being in Canada, I think that was my main thing, like you said, was like, how, how do I want to be a good steward of the land um, amongst the people that live here, right? And the nations that are indigenous to here. And so education is always the main thing. And I think for America, outside of, for America, not Hawaii, for America. I think for that particular place, I think there's just not a lot of knowledge about who Hawaii is, right? So even the Hawaiian history that's taught in schools at elementary level, and you never hear about it in middle school or high school, but when they talk about it at elementary level, it's very surface level and it's very, oh, Pearl Harbor happened. And that's the extent of what people learning about Hawaii in the diaspora. Just thinking about all of the things that you said, both of you have mentioned. Do you think the proximity to Hawaii makes social media content more educational when it's a bit easier to access cultural traditions, practices, et cetera, in Hawaii? Yeah, I don't understand that question. So do you think proximity to to Hawaii, so like you both being in Hawaii, do you think it's easier 
to make educational content because you have access to it in different ways, right? So you have access to the cultural traditions, the practices that are going on, the sacred places. You have more knowledge. You can access archives if you need to at a quicker, easier level. Do you think that that proximity to being in Hawaii helps to expand the education of Kanaka there as well as Kanaka in the diaspora? Because if we're being honest, there's lots of Kanaka in Hawaii that don't know Hawaiian history, right? So do you think being there makes a difference? Yeah, I would say proximity is the best wingman. And whatever way you want to look at that, I've been so blessed with a Hawaiian immersion background. Hawaiian is my first language. I didn't appreciate it, but I've had all the resources. I have all the connections. If I wanted to look more into my mo'opo'o, wanted to learn hula, become even better at Hawaiian, everything's at my fingertips. And especially with social media, you could take, there's so many resources, even online. Immersing yourself in a culture physically in person is the best way to do it. That's like nothing beats that. So we're definitely at an advantage. But like what Unaya did and like Kiliona, one of the, the past podcasts, I guess I had, if that's something you really want to do, you figure it out. You figure out how to get here. You figure out the appropriate steps to take to educate yourself and really reconnect. But yeah, this is a conversation that you have to have with yourself, but the best way to do it here. So there's no better place to be Hawaiian than Hawaii. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't really think there's any substitute for being Hawaiian in Hawaii, like the resources here. And the crazy thing is there's resources on the continent for diaspora, but the communication, the, there's no coconut wireless on the continent. Like the word just does not travel the same way to the point where I found out, I literally, I think it was literally like two or three months before I moved to Hawaii. I found out there, there was a halal 45 minutes for me and I never knew. And I, it's not for lack of searching. There would be days where I would just spend hours searching for, I don't know, anything. <laughs> and, and to not even have a clue that there was a halal 45 minutes for me is wild. I have another friend who is diaspora. There was a halal, she's from Seattle. She said there was a halal 10 minutes down the street and her or her mom never knew about it. Yeah, there's definitely resources for diaspora. Like Kamaka said, like social media is an amazing power. There's so many books nowadays. Like the last 30 years has been absolutely amazing for Kanaka authorship, for some of the amazing books that we've gotten out of it. Like my number one recommendation is always like From a Native Daughter by Hulmani K. Trapps. But yeah, like you can't replace it. Like there's nothing that can replace like learning the mo'olelo of Manoa while you're standing there like standing at the Kanavai tarot farm that they have on UH Manoa campus as they're telling you about the Mo'olelo associated with the development of this cup, of this uh, tarot pattern. So there's really no, there's no substitution for it. But I, I would say there's, it, it's definitely been easier being here, but I'm always advocating for more resources for diaspora, always advocating that there's more things available for them, not in Hawaii, because... Yeah, at home, but it's it is very expensive. People have families and shit, and sometimes it takes years longer than others. But yeah, both. Okay, so that's good for both. Good for both of what you were saying. Somebody has a question related to what you all were just talking about. 
Have you both had to post content about do's and don'ts to educate Malahini to clarify topics, traditions, and unwelcome behavior? If so, describe the scenario and how you address the topic. Yeah, so one that I'd say I probably bring up the most, and it's a pretty simple one. It's like reef safe sunscreen. And especially like the whole marketing of the island of Oahu where there's reef safe sunscreen, but it's technically not reef safe because they just changed the name of two of the chemicals and put them back in. That's probably one of like my number one do's, do slash don't tips for people if they do come visit is make sure the sunscreen, it's not great. Even if it says reef safe, make sure it actually is reef safe because unfortunately that little stamp of approval means nothing on this island. Yeah, I was blessed with the opportunity to work with a really big content creator called Mark Yan. He, he came to Hawaii and lives with me for a couple of days. So we did a, a really fun video of educating people on what Hawaii is actually like. And then we did some fun content, like 20 something things um, people in Hawaii do or seven things not to uh, how ladies do or not to, I forget, something like that. It's on my Instagram. But I think using comedy, making it a little bit more fun and digestible, I think is a good way to to do that. So just like that video, it went really viral and basically just manners, have good manners. If you think about it, do's and don'ts, we're saying have aloha, we're saying be kind, or you're saying don't litter, okay? Yeah, don't be in hail and throw your trash on the ground. Like it's all just, we're just, all just talking about good manners. So wherever you go, whether that's Hawaii or not, like the do's and do nots, do what you think a good person would do. Don't do what a bad person would do. Be respectful. So I, I don't think it's that complicated, to be honest. Just people don't have that upbringing all the time. Like, for example, in Madagascar, they would just throw rubbish on the ground because that's just what they're known for. Seeing, seeing that and being able to know people just don't have that. People don't think the same way you do. It gives you, it gives you empathy, but still, you don't have to like it. <laughs> I still don't like it, but <laughs> yeah, I think at the end of the day, the do's and do not just be a good person. Thinking about how Hawaii has been involved in the media lately, at least maybe since 2015 and even before, like before social media. So when we think about like groundwork, grassworks movements, right? So Mauna Kea, the education that's going on on Maui and some of those kind of issues that we have on Hawaii that people may not know about, right? So like even Red Hill and all of those things that are going on. How has social media been beneficial for on the ground movement work? So think about this in terms of like social justice movements, nonviolent direct action, that continue to take place on Hawaii Island, on Hawaii Island and Hawaii as a whole. Yeah. How do you think it is received and portrayed outside of Hawaii? Yeah, I, I think it's great. Just for the awareness aspect of it, just to share a message. Look what happened with Lahaina. So many people shared the story, celebrity, people that don't live here, people on neighbor islands, people uh, on the continent, internationally, it's such a it's such a powerful resource. And not only for us to just to stay connected, 
like I'm in Hawaii, you're in Canada. Like we're having a like <laughs> one-on-one conversation. To be able to share a message, it's very powerful. And yeah, pe- people should use it, whether that's through business, through social activism, anything else uh, among those lines. Uh, share your message, speak your truth. If it's to 100 followers or a million followers, if it helps one person, I think that's great. Do you ever feel like people inside of the movement, because I see this a lot as far as like people in the movement and like just social media content creators in general. Do you ever think there's a time where people feel like they have to defend themselves or defend what they said? I think that's that's a natural response is I say something somebody doesn't understand. So you want to try to make them understand. I think I've done, I've, I felt like that a lot, wanting to respond to people. But, and I, I, I want to say this in the nicest way. You can't argue with stupid people. You're never going to win that argument. So just, that's why I said earlier, just let them be. If they want to misunderstand you, then that's fine. I think it just takes a lot of self-control. It's very hard. So even if, if it, TikTok is one of those platforms that it reaches it doesn't always reach your demographic audience. So we, you, you could be talking about Lahaina or Red Hill or anything Hawaiian, and then it reaches somebody who, oh, look at these Hawaiians complaining. Stupid Hawaiians, Hawaiians are racist. All they do is complain. And it, that happens. And you don't always have to respond to everything. Yeah. I think that's the, the biggest thing. That's, but it's, it's very hard not to. It's, it's very hard to have that self-control, but at the end of the day, I just, Say it, stand by it, and the people who are going to resonate with it will. I think Kunai said early on about engagement, the people that need to hear it or want to hear it will hear it. And everything else is just noise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We have a question from Matt. If they're still... Matt says... Kamaka, through the many interactions you've had, is there any one point that stands out for Kanaka living off island in the role they have to fulfill their kuleana to Lakui? What suggestions do you have or aspects that stand out we could help address off island? Yeah. I mean, I think the the biggest thing that you can do if you're not able to do anything physically is just to be your best self and represent Hawaii. So if you're in, on the continent and you're saying you're Hawaiian, then you know that people are going to look at you as a Hawaiian. Friends in wherever you are in California, wherever you're going to be the role model for all Hawaiians. So you got to not litter. You have to, you know, be kind to one to other people. You have to share correct information. But I think the only kuleana is to really be a good Hawaiian, a good person. If that's the image that you're right now. Because you can't both be, you can't both get fish pond and volunteer. And that's fine because every, everybody has their 
Oh, you know what I mean? Even in the whole, not everybody were fishers. Not everybody were farmers. Whatever role that you're playing in our modern day Aoba, do that, but just know that we're looking at you as a role model for polite. I think that's the biggest thing, like the, the one thing you can do is just be mindful of that. I think it's worth mentioning too, like you don't have to be in Hawaii to contribute to the Lahui. There's there's choke Hawaiians living diaspora. You can support other diasporic businesses. You can improve your own understanding of your mo'opuaho or your mo'olalo just to build that relationship with kokono and with your own mo'opua. But I also think too, as far as what each person's kuleana is to the lahui living off island. I've been back for a year and a half and I'm still figuring it out. I, I feel like it's something that based on oh, in Hawaii or outside of Hawaii, I feel like whatever kuleana, your kuleana is to the lahui will reveal itself in time based on things that you excel at, things that you're already involved with. And not well, the universe will give you signs. Things will pop up here and there, synchronicities where you're like, oh, oh, okay, this is happening. So I think just like continuing, to, like, like Kamaka said, like wrapping Hawaiians when you're the only one in the room, that's a kuleana in and of itself. And I've been there. And sometimes that means like I'm the go to person when somebody asks about where I, where they should stay on vacation for Hawaii. But yeah, I think it's up to each individual person to end like that journey of figuring out their kuleana. But it all comes back to Kamakata, just be a good person. Be a good person and rep Hawaiians well. Do you think that being a good person includes like speaking truth to power though? Like you said, Kunai, you had your friend and you had to be like, yes, but no. So like for myself, yeah. when people are like, well, I want to go to Hawaii. Can you can you tell me somewhere to go? My first reaction is always, why are you going there? And so right. it's like a protective first. So do you think that being a good person also includes speaking truth to power, basically? Oh, yeah. Being a good person doesn't mean you get walked over like a doormat, which I think is, that's something, that's a, a stereotype that's been portrayed on Hawaiians since contact. Since Western contact, they're like, oh, they're lazy. They never do anything. Oh, the overthrow happened and they didn't even care. They were peering out nervously from behind their blinds because they were so scared or whatever the whatever it was specifically. But no, like I, I think you can be a good person and also show people like tough love. And yeah, and I think it would be more of a disservice if I'm if somebody's planning their vacation to Hawaii and I don't tell them. Or yeah. especially depends on what time of year they're going, where they're staying. There's very real, like, like things like right. Red Hill aren't just things that affect people who live here. Like military families who live there were not told about this. So it like it affects more like things like that, things like Lahaina. It doesn't just affect people who live here. They have extenuating circumstances and extenuating consequences that expand even to to visitors here. Yeah, it's like balancing this kuleana of needing to educate people, but also preserving and protecting your lahui because it's there's way too many people. Like the islands just cannot sustain the amount of people that come in and out every year. And also like wanting to make sure that this person that you're talking to who like wants to go to Hawaii or something like does it in a way that's safe for them and for the place they're visiting. I think that's I think there's a lot of like 
things that like a lot of dangers, I guess you could say that are like within the idea of the tourism industry, but don't really get addressed. Yeah. I know I saw a comment on the bottom saying that's another form of aloha's protection. I thought of the same don't mistake my aloha for weakness. I think that you could be a good person, but still have boundaries and being able to educate them. I consider myself a very nice person, but I'm not afraid to tell you that nobody eats pineapple pizza. Go to some actual local places and get some real wine food. Or yeah, I'll tell you what's going on in Hawaii. We have these real issues. I'm not afraid. I think that it goes along the lines of just being genuine and authentic. They could be a good person and still do all of it. Yeah. I'll give you a real world example that I had the other day. I was at a coffee shop and the coffee shop's run by my friend who's also Kanaka. They, their coffee shop is, it's a coffee shop. Everybody from every walk of life comes in there. And this one guy started talking to me about a $15 million home for sale in Hawaii Kai. And he's asking me about why won't the realtor get back to him? Why won't they answer him? He has all this money, like him and his buddies are gonna get this money together and buy this house. And the whole time I I'm like politely listening and I'm like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, why are you talking to me about this? I have no relationship to this field whatsoever. And then I got to the point where I'm like, trying to be courteous in conversation because he's just trying to make conversation. He doesn't realize like he's making it very obvious our income differences <laughs> when he's talking about a $15 million home. But he's then he says he got to the point, he's like, isn't it crazy? Like I could rent this out on short-term rentals for a year and it would pay for it. That's so wild, right? Like I could pay off a $15 million home in a year. And I stopped him and I said, actually, it's disgusting. It's actually disgusting. And then he, he, yeah, no, he got the memo and he was like, oh, like, I know I probably sound like everybody else trying to get my piece of the pie. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so like it, it's knowing, it's like having, again, having those boundaries and like knowing when, like knowing where your boundary is and like how far you're willing to, you know, um, I guess say entertain the, those types of conversations before you put your boundaries up and like. I have almost 10 years of experience as a hairstylist. Like that, with that type of career comes difficult conversations, whether it be about politics or sports or religion. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to know how to navigate a difficult conversation and like when to pivot, like the right pivot moment. Yeah. It's funny that Kamaka brought up the pineapple pizza. I remember one time I actually was coming home from Hawaii so I was coming back to Canada and there was this couple at the table next to us in the restaurant and they ordered Hawaiian pizza and so I clearly had a shirt that had the Hawaiian emblem and like it said Hawaii and hey Hawaii on the back of my shirt they could clearly see it and they start joking with the waiter and so when the waiter walks away, I turn around and I say, or you can call it Brazilian pizza because pineapples are not native to Hawaii. And they all just looked at me and I said, I know because I'm Hawaiian. And they was like, oh. And so when I left, I still stopped by their table and I said, I hope you all have a good day. And they were like, thank you. And I, I think there are those moments, right, that it's just like, 
where is the time to pivot? And yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said nothing to those people, but I didn't appreciate the banter about Hawaii that was happening, right? Because it was like negative and it was like, ha funny. And it's, you're actually like a Hawaiian sitting in front of you. So it was quite interesting. But mahalo for this conversation. Um, we appreciate you all coming and um, talking story with us. Uh, please hang tight and let us know where we can find you at on social media. Kamaka? You can just find me, Kamaka DS8, on pretty much all platforms. I think that's my username. But if you go to Instagram, you can find all the other social media from there. Mahalo, not a. So I am on TikTok as TikTok and, and Instagram as Third Culture Kanaka. And then you can find me on Twitter as Culture Kanaka because I get a character limit. <laughs> All right. Well, hello for joining us again. And thank you for wrapping up this episode with us of the Moana Nui podcast. Yes. Well, so many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the show I'm just a land of the free was a freedom then When they annexed Hawaii and called it free the lands Without any type of payment and no signing offs Called themselves a republic in 1894 One with two million acres overtaken from the native Hawaiians When he was distant the West retaliated in violence and erasure The Hawaiian language is banned As part of colonialism's plan to expand, yes Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Kohola Bay As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation No work of all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we had to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If the wounds tell we will too many stories left to tell, even if we have to ourselves. Thank you, history on the shelf, if they won't tell it, we will, we will. So if we put Hawaii in a perspective, black and Asian history is interconnected. Considering the fight with the Pacific, then of course, versus Asia, he was treated as a middleman for wolves, but didn't let the Western colorism run his balls, cause dark skin was a sign of dignity to cause. The man was taken in the name of capitalism, one prize jewel of the actual kingdom, clapped back at the system. Suck between a rock and a hard place, multiple bombings of Kohola Bay. As a part of their ongoing war with Asia, used it as a place for target practice. No consent or compensation, colonizers stall for annexation. Network of all the locals, school will never let you know. So many stories left to tell, even if we have to ourselves. Can't keep history on the shelf, if they won't tell it, we will. Too many stories left to tell, even if we have to ourselves. Can't keep history on the shelf, if they won't tell it, we will. So many stories left to tell, even if we have to ourselves. Can't keep history on the shelf, the won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we had to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will